the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Judges, Israel sings thanks to the Lord for giving them the victory over Sisera and his army. We'll pick it up in Judges chapter 5, verse 12. Once again, that's Judges chapter 5, verse 12. I remember I went to a pastor's conference once, and I told the Lord, I'm quitting. I'm done. I'm here only because you told me to come. After that, it's over. And then, you know, people start singing. I'm just sitting there. I'm not singing. I don't have anything to sing about. I don't feel God's goodness right now, and I don't feel like things are very good for me. And then as they just keep singing, telling of God's goodness and faithfulness, man, it just started to melt my heart. And as my heart started to mount, I started to hear the voice of the Lord speaking to me, saying, come on, Will, get up, sing. You're going to be fine. So sing. Not for you. It's never for you. But it's also not just for God. You don't know who else is struggling around you. It's also so others can hear and be encouraged to trust him more too. Now, it was this very thought that caused Deborah to write this song and to ask Barak to join her in celebrating their victory over Hazor. Verse 12, she she recalls that moment when the battle was won and Jabin was defeated and Hazor was conquered. And and she, she rouses herself now to keep going, to finish well, to give God the praise he was due. She says, awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake, utter a song. This isn't the end. Yes, God came through. Yes, we're victorious, but the work's not over. We need to praise him. And then she says, arise, Barak. You're not done either. Lead your captivity captive, thou son of Abinoam. The phraser means to deport your prisoners. You know, the whole reason we're in this mess is because we didn't obey God completely. We allowed these Canaanites to live amongst us. Deport them. Get them out of here. This is not their land. Drive them out like God said. Deborah. She's got to be like one of the coolest people in the Bible. Like, like you read about her and you think, the fiery gal, I can't wait to say hi to her when I get to heaven. We don't know a ton about her, but like when you read about her, she reminds you of Daniel and Joseph a little bit. No compromise. I mean, here they go, they just want a victory. You think, oh, let's take a break. And she's like, no, nah, no, man, we're going to sing. And then, and you, you got that line of prisoners, drive them out. She's all, no, she's like, no compromise at all and yet full of love for her people. 
someone who impacted the lives of those around her, bringing them closer to the Lord. That, that sounds like someone I want to be like. Now, Barak wasn't alone in his eventual courage. Many others answered God's call, and Deborah makes mention of them here. It says, then he made him that remains, the word there means those who survived the oppression of Sisera, those who weren't killed when, you know, originally the warlord took control of that region. Then he made those who survived, it says, have dominion over the nobles amongst the people. The phraser means to come down with the nobles amongst the people. So those that survived, he says, they came and fought too. The Lord made me to have dominion over the mighty, to to come down and fight too. Deborah's remembering the day on Mount Tabor when it all started, when there was no hope of victory, when they were betrayed by one of their own, Jael's husband, and Sisera's right there with all of his chariots ready to crush him. But Deborah remembered that moment, standing on the mountaintop, side by side with all the might of the tribes of Israel. It must have been a powerfully emotional day, standing there with all those people trusting God for a miracle. And she lists the people who stood with her. Verse 14, she says, Out of Ephraim was there a root of them against Amalek. Um, the, the root there, uh, Judges chapter 12, 15, uh, calls the region of Ephraim the Mount of the Amalekites. So it, when he's saying here that out of Ephraim was there a root of them against Amalek, these were those who had already conquered their land, who already had peace. They were not troubled by Sisera. But they came down to fight alongside their brothers anyway to help them, even though they'd secured their land already. After them was the tribe of Benjamin. They came up to fight too among your people. And then it says, out of Makir came down, uh, the King James says governors, uh, but the word there means uh, those who uh, bear the, the pen or those who uh, bear uh, the writing instrument. These were support staff. These are not soldiers, but they were in the army. They, they, they understood how it all worked. But they came to, pardon me, they came to to fight. Um, Makir is some of the, the half-tribe of Manasseh across the other side of Jordan. The reason she mentions him is because no one else came. It was just this, this family that came that from that side of Jordan. Everybody else ignored him. We'll get to that later. But they came down. It says, and out of uh, Zebulun, oh, I'm sorry, the governors, it just means they're leaders. Out of Zebulun came those that handled the pen of the writer. These were the support staff, not soldiers, but they came down courageously anyway, even though they weren't trained to fight, to stand with their brothers. And it says, the princes of Issachar, they were with Deborah too, even Issachar and also Barak. It says, he was sent on foot into the valley. Barak is the one who led the charge from Mount Tabor, uh, Mount Tabor into the valley of Megiddo where the fight took place. Um, uh, all of these tribes exhibited great courage by answering God's call to action. And you know, that, that's a challenge to us because, you know, do you and I answer God's call to action when we see it in his word? You know, a lot of times people tell me and say, well, I, I just don't know how to understand my Bible when I read it. And it, if I can ever recommend a book to you, a great book to read is called Food for Faith by Dr. Richard Bennett. Um, it's an excellent book and it teaches you how to have a devotion time or how to read your Bible with application in mind. And, and one of the things he mentions there is the things you look for when you read is look for a command to obey and then talk to the Lord about it. Commit to obey it. I can tell you how many times I'll, re- I'll be reading my devotion and there's something right there. And I'm like, okay, here it is, Lord. Am I going to do this today? You know, am I going to do this with my kids? Do it with my wife? Do it with the people I interact with? Am I going to follow this today? Well, Lord, you know how the kids can get. That's a whopper of a request there. It's not a request. Well, it's a command. Okay. So I need to do something about this. Yes, you need to do it. All right, Lord. 
I'm not very good at that. So Lord, I present my body to you a living sacrifice. Will you fill me with your spirit? Give this mouth to you so I can do this correctly unto you. Give this heart to you so I can do it with the right attitude. You know, I don't know how people pray for so long. Start praying with your Bible open and you'll find out. Now, while these five tribes fought, others did not, even though Barak summoned them. And so it mentions in the latter half of verse 15, but for the divisions of Reuben, the tribe of Reuben, there was great thoughts of heart. The word there, great thoughts of heart, it means serious consideration. But then she asked the question, why did you stay among the sheepfolds to hear the bleedings of your flocks? For the divisions of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart, but that was it. That was all. They didn't come. Serious considerations are good, but they must be acted upon. They heard the word of God, but they didn't do it. Let's not follow that example. It mentions next, verse 17, Gilead abode, abode beyond Jordan. Gilead is the rest of Manasseh and all of Gad, a whole tribe and a half on the other side of Jordan. It says they didn't even consider it. They just ignored God's call. Definitely don't do that. Then it mentions the question, and why did Dan remain in ships? Now, the tribe of Dan was a mess at this time. They were driven into the beach areas, ships by, uh, by, uh, by the Philistines. They were driven into the mountains by the Philistines. Eventually, things would get so hard for them that they would leave the land God gave them and they would go far to the north, way to the north by Mount Hermon. They thought to themselves when they heard the summons from God, we've got too many of our own problems to help you out right now. But Deborah critiques that. Why didn't you come? You say, well, that's not very merciful, Deborah. You're not a very nice lady. But consider a couple things. Back in chapter 3, we read that Shamgar defeated the Philistines and brought peace to the region during this time period. And even Jesus taught us that even when we think we have nothing, what we do have will be taken from us if we aren't faithful with it. So there's always, it's always easy to look around and go, well, I don't have anything to give. And the Lord goes, if you won't give what you have, then I'll take what you do have, even though you don't realize you have it. We always have something we can give, always, even if life is hard for us in that moment. You know, I was having a particularly rough day one day. I don't know, it's maybe like two months ago, and, and my health was just this bad day, and, and I was having a real hard time just walking through it. And I was, I was going to the Lord. I'm like, Lord, I, I can't offer anything to anybody today. I got nothing. I have absolutely nothing today. Like, what am I going to do? My whole, my whole day is wasted today. Like, I, I'm, I'm going to just sit in bed in pain. And, and the Lord just whispered to me and he said, well, he said, give what you do have. And it was amazing because as I was laying in bed in pain, Beverly comes in and she has tears in her eyes. And I said, what's going on? And she was just beyond stressed out and, and stuff. And, and, uh, and the Lord said, you have something you can give right now. And I just, I listened to her, pour her heart out. And then there was something that I could help with, something that I could actually do, that I could help with. I didn't know it before that moment, but in that moment, I knew that there was something I'd do. It was really small, but I heard very crystal clear that little small voice in the back of your mind saying, you can do this, Will, and will you be faithful to me to do it? So often, when we get so focused on our own, what we don't have, 
we miss the moments that God brings before us to show us what we can do and what we do have. And so, you know, for the tribe of Dan, we could think, oh, Deborah's being mean here. Deborah's being harsh. But the reality is God called Dan to do this. You know, when I, when I had that, I had, when I was whining to the Lord, I had gotten up and I, I like to go for a walk every day. It just gets the blood flowing and I need to do it. And I couldn't even do that that day. But I was out there sitting out on the porch with my Bible, having my devotion time, just crying before the Lord, going, what am I going to do? And I felt like the Lord said, I'm going to give you something to do today, but will you be obedient? And, and that's the thing with Dan, is that God called him to do something. And Dan, their life was a wreck at that moment in time. Things had not turned out like they wanted to. Their whole, their whole, all the excitement that they had when they came into the land, all the tribes got their land, they got the land that the Philistines were in. And it had been hard since day one. They hadn't won any victories like the other tribes had. There was lots of reasons for them to go and look and go, my life stinks. I got nothing. But God sent someone and said, can you do this for me? Doing nothing when God gave him something to do wasn't the right answer. It wasn't the right answer. I mentioned in verse 17, the other tribe that didn't come was Asher. Asher continued on the seashore and abode in his breaches, the King James said. The word there means inlets. Usually they are places of calm water. Asher apparently wasn't experiencing oppression as badly as the other tribes. So they were thinking, why stir up the waters when life isn't so bad for us? Not only was that selfish, but it was trusting their own ideas instead of following the Lord's command. Can I share something with you? A good life is never an easy life. Never an easy life. A good life requires doing hard things. So don't choose calmer waters when the Lord commands hard things. Now, these selfish and self-reliant responses are radically different than the tribes who fought and therefore worthy of shame. So she compares that now with verse 18 when she says, Zebulun and Naphtali, they were a people that jeopardized their lives unto the death in the high places of the field. Naphtali was not mentioned earlier as a tribe who came because chapter 4 already told us they came to Barak's initial summons. And these two tribes, Naphtali and Zebulun, were the, the main bulk of Israel's army. And it says that they jeoparded their lives. The word there means they treated their lives with contempt as something that wasn't the highest value, something that was of low value compared to other things. In other words, they considered their individual lives worthless if it meant disobeying God. So they willingly put those lives on the line. In Acts 20, verse 24, Paul said something similar when he was confronted with his own death. He said, but none of these things move me, neither do I count my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus. Neither do I count my life dear to myself. That's, that's crazy. I mean, all of us count our lives dear to ourselves, right? I mean, when I wake up in the morning, my first thought is me. You know, what do I need food, you know? You know, I need food. You know, I need a shower. I, I need to take care of me. So our general disposition is to count our lives as something precious, something of great value to ourselves. I don't think it's that we shouldn't think of life as precious and just throw our lives away. The question is, is my life so precious to me 
that I'll hold on to it at all costs. And that, that should never be. That should never be. In Luke chapter 17, verse 33, Jesus said, he who seeks to save his life will lose it. But whosoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel, there are things more precious than my life. He'll find it. That's a reality we all need to learn. That me preserving my life at all costs, that cannot be the most precious thing to me. Now, these guys laid their lives on the line and they were victorious. What's interesting though is that the Canaanites believed they had it in the bag. They believed not only were they going to win, but that this victory would result in their greatest plunder yet. But they failed because God supernaturally intervened. It says, the kings, they came and fought, then fought the kings of Canaan and Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo, there by the brook Kishon. But it says they took no gain of money. They got no plunder. For it says in verse 20, they fought from heaven. Who's they? The stars in their courses fought against Sisera. God intervened supernaturally. They, the stars, a reference to the natural phenomenon that changed the battle. And what was it? Well, it says, verse 21, the river of Kishon swept them away. That ancient river, the river Kishon, oh my soul, you have trodden down strength. Then were the horse hooves broken by the means of the prancings, the prancings of their mighty ones. Deborah's got spunk, man. She's like, you know, she's singing and she's like, oh man, I can't, I can't, I can't get enough of this. God is so awesome. The Kishon is not a large river at all. If you go to Israel, you'd be like, God, mired down the army of, of, of Sisera and that. But flash floods do occur as it did, as it did here. This time it was supernaturally um, caused. And so Deborah, she's overwhelmed by the enormity of the victory. We did it, you know. We have trodden down strength, you know. And, and the result of the flooding of the river, it says, then were the horses broken by the prancings by the means of their prancings. The word that means the rushed galloping. The horses were trying to escape the muck and the mire from the flooding and they're, they're, they were just, their, their hooves were broken. They, they couldn't even get away. They couldn't salvage any of the chariots, any of the cavalry. Deborah's joy here of the victory is profound, but it is also mingled with frustration over those who didn't help. And one particular city didn't just really upset her, but it actually received a curse from the Lord. Verse 23, Curse ye Meraz, said the angel of the Lord. Curse ye bitterly the inhabitants thereof, because they came not to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. I don't know where Meraz was. No one has found it. All we know about the city is that it was along the route that Sisera fled, and that even though they had no reason to fear joining the battle with their brethren any longer, they still didn't fight alongside their countrymen. And so for this, they earned a special judgment from the Lord, for it says the angel of the Lord cursed them. Now, this is the first mention of the presence of an angel at this battle. Now, since Deborah mentions God being in the midst of the storm that came from the south that caused the flooding, it is very likely that this is a reference, the angel of the Lord here, is a reference to a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. Because it frequently will call him the angel of the Lord. I don't know if Deborah's the only one that heard Jesus' curse here, or if the entire nation did, but either way, it was not a good day for the people of Miraz. In contrast, there is a special blessing on Jael for her actions against Sisera, verse 24. 
Blessed above women shall Jael, the wife of Haber, the Kenite, be. Blessed shall she be above women in the tent. For he, Sisera, asked for water, and she gave him milk. I mean, she treated him like an honored guest. She brought forth butter in a lordly dish. And then she put her hand to the nail and her right hand to the workman's hammer. And with the hammer, she smote Sisera. She smote off his head when she had pierced and stricken through his temples. At her feet, he bowed, he fell, he lay down. At her feet, he bowed, he fell. And where he bowed, there he fell down dead. He wants everyone to know that he died at the hand of this woman, J.L. Now, J.L. would not have been able to take Sisera in an open fight. So instead, she lulled him to let down his guard. Judges 4 tells us that her husband was loyal to Jabin, the king of Hazor, and betrayed Barak's army to Sisera. So it's likely Sisera had been a guest at her, home, at her tent before. But Jael disagreed with her husband's betrayal. She remained loyal to her people and to the Lord. And so when the time came, she too risked her life and ended up putting the final nail in Sisera's coffin, pun intended. A lot of time is devoted to Jael here because what she did was unparalleled. Women back then were considered weak at best, useless at worst when it came to matters of war. They were either part of the spoils of war or those who would be taken by the war, killed by the war. But Jael believed she could play a part. And with courage, she answered God's call to fight alongside her people in the only way that she could. Now, the last part here may seem a bit morbid, but you have to understand, a woman's glory back then was directly tied to her husband. And so Deborah's a little bit mocking in what she says here, because sister's defeat is bad news for the entire nation of Canaanites who had become rich off of Israel's oppression. And so she says, the mother of Sisera looked out at a window and cried through the lattice saying, why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the wheels of his chariots? Well, then her wise ladies answered her. Yea, she even returned answer to herself. She comforted herself by saying, oh, have they not sped? You know, have they not divided the prey? The reason they're so long in coming is because the, there's so much spoil to be gotten. To every man, a damsel or two. Everybody's going to get their own slave girl to rape after this one. To every man a damsel or two, to Sisera, a prey of diverse colors. I'm getting a new dress. A prey of diverse colors of needlework on both sides. Meat for the necks of them that take the spoil. Can't be defeat. Surely they delay because they're returning with more riches than ever. That's how miraculous this defeat was. No Canaanite conceived that they would lose, but lose they did. Deborah exults in God's victory and looks forward to many more in the future as her people trust in the Lord. Verse 31, so let all your enemies perish, O Lord, but let them that love him be as a son when he goes forth in his might and the land had rest for 40 years. In the same way that you took care of these guys, Lord, utter and complete defeat, let all your enemies be in a complete state of ruin. Let them perish. Some have a problem with this. But I ask you a question. How do you expect the world to be fixed if God lets evil remain? Can't. No amount of education or remediation will fix a rebellious heart. Israel, think about it. Israel had all the education through God's law, and did they succeed? They failed. God's going to let man fulfill his heart's desire in the times of the Gentiles, and where will that bring us? To the edge of annihilation. And then finally... During the thousand-year reign, Jesus will rule with a rod of iron, creating a utopia everywhere. And at the end of that, when Satan's released, thousands will rebel. 
there's only one answer to our world's problems. Regeneration for those who repent, a new heart, a new life, being born again, and final judgment to those who refuse to repent. That's the only answer. It's the only answer. So let all your enemies perish, but let them that love him be as a son when he goes forth in his might. It says, a land had rest, sadly, for only 40 years. And then the cycle starts again in chapter 6. But guys, can you see why we need the king of kings? Even if we have a Deborah for a while, you know, even if we have a, a, these other guys, a Shamgar, you know, even if we have these other leaders like Othniel, they're temporary. We need the king of kings because only then will the cycles finally come to an end. Amen? Lord, we are grateful for the people you've put in our lives to challenge us and encourage us, Lord. Uh, the truth is we need you to come back. And so we echo with John, even so, come quickly. Even though it means judgment for many, we pray you would come quickly, Lord, to establish your kingdom, where righteousness will cover the earth like waters cover the seas. We need that, Lord. But in the meantime, Lord, you call us to occupy till you come. So, Lord, we want to spread the good news about you to those who don't know you. We want to declare your praises to one another so we can encourage each other. And, Lord, we want to sing praises to you because you're worthy, always worthy, no matter how we feel. Lord, help us to be those who praise you when you come through, who tell others of what you've done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.